There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, Boris Johnson has talked about leveling up the UK economy, bringing the wealth of the more deprived areas so they're closer to the wealth of the more affluent areas without the affluent folks having to pay for it or to lose out. Is that even possible? And what policies along those lines would work? Or was it just a handy slogan to win an election? A rhetorical question, perhaps that one. I suspect we all know the answer. But the broader question of how you fix regional diversity remains. And we'll look at that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Now, I'm not sure how many times he said it, but it's a lot. Uh, I'm talking about Boris Johnson uniting Great Britain and levelling up the economy, uh, as he likes to call it. Uh, it helped him win an election, of course. He won 47 new seats. Lost, Labour lost 59 of them in the election last year. In the northeast of England, a Labour heartland decimated by the Thatcher government, thanks to the collapse of the iron and steel industry, uh, the Tories took seats like Darlington, Stockton South and Bishop Auckland. These are staunchly Labour seats that have swung around. Redcar's another one, had a swing of more than 15% to the Tories. Presumably, now a big chunk of it will have been because he promised to get Brexit done without dither or delay, uh, but it was also this levelling up argument, Steve, that you uh-huh. can benefit the North without compromising the South. Everyone can have growth, but to even things out, then obviously the North will grow that much faster. Is that... A realistic proposition can you sort of like have a two-speed economy where the disadvantaged part of the economy is actually growing faster than the the, the, the part of the economy that's doing all right well it depends on on what the motive force is because there are i mean i mean what the first thing to, to get down pat is that any any uh dynamic process any any evolutionary process ends up having uh what blair fix and others describe very well as, as a power law distribution and that is that um that the if you if you if you, in, in mathematical terms they call it a a, a a power law and what the way they illustrate is they just take whatever factor is causing something you put on the x-axis whatever whether is the result you put on the y-axis and if you use logs on both so the scale goes one ten a hundred a thousand uh, rather than one two three four five if you do that what you what you see is a straight line and uh, that sort of thing turns up in an enormous number. Of, uh, of processes, so like the size of, of snowflakes and raindrops, the size of earthquakes. If you put the uh, the number of earthquakes on the on 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 the uh, x-axis and the the, mm. the force of the earthquakes on the vertical, it doesn't really matter which one goes where. But the other log of the number, so one, ten, a hundred, a thousand for the number of earthquakes, and and the Richter scale actually is a logarithmic scale itself. So one, two, three four, five, six in the Richter scale on the vertical, you'll see a straight line. So there's thousands and thousands of more small earthquakes than there are big earthquakes, but the plot of the relationship is a, is a, is a straight line. And when you apply that to income distribution or wealth distribution, you get the same thing. So what you will get is there will be some highly concentrated place 
like, for example, London, uh, which has got much, many, many more people and much, much higher incomes than some other place like, for example, Newcastle. Um, so that's that's your first your first factor. And if you want to break that, if you want to get uh, uh, you know more than one uh, region of, of dominance in in a, um, a society, then you either need to have uh, serious divisions in that society via um, states, and of course that's what happens in America. You got you have the fifty states of America. So within each, the the, the state capital itself will be bigger than any of the regional centres, um, mm. but, but, but there's, there's some sort of local distribution network that gives you a local effect, that gives you a broken-down power law at the state level as well as the national power law. Um, with the UK, um, if you, if you, if you We've go We've got to- county councils, haven't we? And, and we did try... Uh, you know what? What are called growth poles? Um, you know that's the, the the economic geographers term for it. You know mm-hmm. where you get a, a an agglomeration of industries in or near the growth pole, which is what you're talking about with London. Yeah. But it could just as easily be saying, "Well, okay, let's do it for the northeast of England. Let's have a let's have Newcastle as a as a growth pole, and the benefit of that is going to spread out over the surrounding region." And they sort of tried that in the '80s because they put a lot of money into. Uh, into Newcastle, they built the uh, the fifty mile long metro system uh, to try and help get people into the centre of Newcastle, uh, so that the local retail industry could could build up. The problem with that was it decimated Teesside, which was twenty five miles to the south, because everyone moved out of Teesside <laughs> to go up to Newcastle because yeah. that's where the money was, and that's that's part of the problem, isn't it? If you if you're doing it uh, on a because the the geography of the UK is is so small, mm. uh, you put money into one town, you, in effect you get towns playing off against each other. Yeah, and and that's one of the dilemmas. Uh, if even in doing it, you, if you're going to solve, you know, the balance of London versus the rest of the country, so you put up one other site locally, then you might, uh, you you may end up be like being lucky and causing something which causes that particular region to grow, but the regions around it will shrink. Um, mm. So you 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 know, it's it's very hard to avoid the agglomeration effect in in a capitalist economy because uh, again, uh, what. What grows isn't just the original uh, industry gives you a growth spurt. Uh, one of my, my my old colleagues, Doug Noland, who um, uh, was one of the original bears about the stock market back in, uh, before the 2000 crash, Doug used to talk about the sushi effect. And that is that if you have something like, for example, um, Silicon Valley evolving, so suddenly there's a region which is not New York and it's not Los Angeles and it's not uh, quite San Francisco. Um, so it's a growth, it's a, it's a region outside the current growth centers. Uh, when, when it starts to grow, then it grows, of course, because of the uh, computer industry. So you have all these software de- developers everywhere. But bang, the sushi industry benefits. So it's, it spreads over into, into other other um, industries in the local area. And that can give you a growth pole for a while. But mm. uh, overwhelmingly, the pressure is that the bigger the city, to some ex- some, until it starts to be totally dysfunctional, the bigger the city, the more likely that city is to attract all the action. And in London, you know, how large is London yeah. compared to the next largest city in the UK? Oh, uh, now you're asking me. Much uh, the, the answer to that question is Steve. Much bigger. And I don't know the absolute. The, <laughs> it's got to be the order, figures, but the, it's got to be over ten times, hasn't it? Oh, I don't know 
maybe not quite that much, but certainly, I mean, Birmingham is the next biggest, and it is a lot smaller. But then, but then, I mean, beyond Birmingham and Manchester, then you are getting into much smaller towns and cities. And that is the problem, of course, because those towns and cities also have large... It's quite a, uh, it's quite a decentralised population in the UK, isn't it? Because people aren't living in... Whereas in Australia, everyone lives in an urban centre, by and large. There's very few people live in small towns. Mm. Whereas lots of people live in small towns and villages in the UK, and they work in... in uh, you know they commute to towns, so that's the that's if they've got a job. So that's that's the issue, isn't it? You can't have those big conurbations. They're going to be acting as growth poles because there's just too many towns and cities. And if you if you let one grow, you're gonna uh, you're gonna disadvantage all the others. So it is yeah. a it is a quandary. So this is why in the 60s and 70s they had uh, more of a carrot and stick approach in the UK because if you can't just let it all level up as Boris wants to to do. Then the only other way is to uh, take that carrot and stick approach. So you know, we, we move here and we'll give you some sort of tax advantage. Don't move if if you want to if you want to build a factory here, we're not going to let you, or we're going to make it more expensive. So you used to have to have a, an industrial development certificate, which basically made it harder to establish a factory because we used to have those in the UK in the olden days. Factories, uh, wow! Factories, I know. Uh, that shows how out of date this policy is now. But if you wanted to establish a factory over a certain area in the south of England, you had to have a bloody good reason and one in four applications in what were called non-problem areas were refused but that is leveling down isn't it that's not leveling up that's leveling down that's taking away from the uh, from the wealthy part of the country hopefully to the advantage of the less wealthy but there's also the danger that some of those companies may go well if we can't be in the southeast we're going to go to france thanks yeah, I mean, you've got to make it advantageous to, to not go into the, the capital city itself but to not leave the country at the same time, which is rather mm. a difficult balancing act. And having seen the UK's incredible management of COVID, the COVID crisis, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have Ability uh, to manage its way out of anything. No, no, it, 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 it's looking pretty dire. So you, you do need to have that discouragement there because one of the, one of the nicest little uh, elements of non-orthodox economics was a geographic idea. You've probably, you've probably learned your economic geography, the hoteling theory of, of location. Was that yeah. something you learned in economic geography? We've spoken, and we've spoken, yeah, and we've spoken about it on the podcast yeah. at least twice. This is, what, you know, the idea of uh, if you are, uh, if, you, if you're setting up an ice cream stand on a beach, then yeah. you, two people uh, are going to put it right in the centre, right next to each other because uh, they'll get the share of the entire beach. Whereas uh, if you start, if you've got a third one, then they'll start to, separate out and to try and claim more of the uh, more of a geographic monopoly but um i'm not sure again it's the uh, it, we, we, the uk is the beach isn't it? everyone wants to be in the middle because it's not big enough to to, to spread out yeah but it, it, it's, i mean this we've got to put a, a bit of a qualification on that argument as well because uh if you do get those sort of agglomerations happening and this is what we we see uh, industrially around the world industries do start in localized agglomerations and one of the results yeah. of that is you do get innovation so when you talk about the hoteling example and the ice cream um you know, the idea is well if you had if you could force them to be one third and two third location on the beach then you make it easy to walk together to get ice cream we're talking in a very generic way about ice cream and i don't know about you but i'm a bit of I'm a bit picky about ice cream um if, if, you, if you're talking the sort of low-grade 
Peter's stuff, pardon me, anybody who owns Peter's being part of the podcast, um, then forget it. If you're talking the, the Bill and Jerry style ice cream, then you've got me as a customer. And mm. if you often, if you, if you are close to each other, then you can't compete on locality anymore. You've got to compete on diversity. And you then, may, even though you might be find it's harder to walk to that central location, you may get more innovation coming out of it. So one of my, yeah. my favorite examples of this is actually the Italian car industry. And of course, if you, if you, you talk about what country produces fast cars until Tesla came along, the answer was it's Italy. And the answer, you know, why did Italy produce the fast cars? Uh, what's the history of the fast cars? Well, it ends up being the Lamborghini and the Ferrari families, both of whom I believe began as tractor manufacturers. And uh, mm. they're in the one, the one small region of Italy, uh, one company starts making an automobile, and the and of course they're they're they're, they're um, selling to the, the high end buyers. They're trying to produce. Before. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Performance car, and then you've been, I don't know which one was first, Lamborghini or Ferrari, but then Ferrari responds by having yet more features, yet more power, and so on. And you started getting this dramatic production of high performance cars all in the one region. And, and that regional cluster is what's given you the part of Italy, which is, you know, at least as prosperous as the best parts of Germany and, and at least yeah. as capable in industrial development as well. So, and thank God they did, because tractor racing would just not be anywhere oh, near. Oh, mate, you should have seen uh, the one, one advantage of being in Thailand is you see some pretty crazy stuff on the TV. You know, the tuk-tuks. Uh, yeah, they can, but they have tuk-tuk races, do they? Well, not, it wasn't, I don't think it was in Thailand, because Thailand would ban this stuff. It's so damn dangerous. But it was it was uh, cross-country tuk-tuk racing with people hanging out the edge of the tuk-tuks to balance them as they went around corners. I think it's somewhere in India. Sounds like Indonesia. Oh, India. Oh, it okay. could be Indonesia as well. Indonesia. I'm, I'm, I'm mate, <laughs> honestly. And the tuk-tuks would fall over in mud puddles and have to be picked up and pushed out of the puddle by the crew. And then on they'd go. People in bare feet. I mean, my God. So. So it sounds like uh, you're saying then, you know, that you've got to have this uh, this this grouping of industries within close proximity. To so some extent, the concentration so they feed off each other. Can, can, yeah. yeah. So does that mean then, for example, if you're looking at trying to grow the UK economy, but also spread the spread the wealth? I mean, maybe you do need to almost accept that the southeast is going to be a, a a a good part of it, but you need to ease communication. We're a small country. So if you just have fast relics, if you say, yeah, let's spend the money on the HS2, let's, that, that means somebody in the north could be dealing with a company in the south. And the geography, you're, you're, you're condensing the geography, which is already quite small, but you're just cutting down the journey times to enable those companies to feed off each other. Maybe that's part of the rationale. Or, or, or you have to have something which means that a particular region takes off. Uh, in the way that the, you know, the, the car industry did in Italy early on, and then you've got a growth centre which is not Rome. Um, yeah, uh, you know, so mm. that that but, but, but these these, these but that things, hasn't that hasn't happened though. I mean, that's I mean. Well, it's you know, also you, about- you, what you mentioned in terms of government policy in the UK it trashed what used to be a growth centre. I mean, you did have all those industries. And Newcastle was famous for something. I think it was called iron at one stage. Um, yeah, and and that was all uh, trashed. 
Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. By government policy. And now you're trying, well, duh, the consequences of that is it's now a massively depressed region. Um, it, it's easy to destroy. It's very hard to create those sorts of things. So what about the idea of free ports? That's another one of Boris's ideas, although he's, yeah, I notice he's actually gone quite quiet on it. Well, he's gone quiet on everything, of course, because uh, COVID-19 is such a disaster. He's uh, trying to get, keep out the public spotlight. But uh, he, he was talking about free ports. So maybe, maybe he's also being quiet because he's waiting till after the Brexit negotiations are finished because he knows that uh, if, if the UK was to introduce free ports, that would really piss off the rest of Europe, even though they already exist in uh, Cyprus, Croatia, Bulgaria, Denmark, Estonia, France, Greece, Hungary, Ireland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Malta, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovenia, Spain, and yes, even Germany. Uh, but uh, the UK shouldn't have them apparently. But I mean, but we don't have them currently. So this idea of free ports could actually be a good way. So you have depressed ports like Teesside, for example, uh, that perhaps could find themselves uh, offering uh, whatever it might be. Uh, let's look at uh, in in Germany, uh, Bremerhaven or Haven is the is there one of their free ports? They've got cargo companies. They do ship repairs like they used to do in Teesside, oil storage, car companies. They get foreign investment coming in. This might help with Boris's levelling up plans, maybe, if he pushed ahead with that. Actually, the, the free ports were something which actually began in, in, in Southeast Asia as a way of bringing about export-oriented industrialisation. And the idea was you'd have a region of the country that was not subject to its labour laws in particular uh, and also not subject to import and export rules uh, and, and with low-cost uh, capital, low-cost low land for the firms to come in. Uh, I, I, I wonder what on, the earth is the, what on earth is the attraction to have a free port uh, in the actual destination countries uh, rather than the rather than the, the, the developing countries, what's going on here? Because uh, I mean, with with tariffs being as low as they are, and import and export costs being um, you know, drastically lower than they were thirty years ago, uh, I just don't see what the advantages yeah. of those regions. No, it's a good point. Where's where's he where's he taking the goods from? What value is he adding, and where's he shipping them to? And also, um, I mean, let's, let's talk. Let's not leave the environment out of this one. The last thing we need is more shipping and more globalized long-term supply chains. Uh, the one thing COVID has done is show the dangers of having extensive supply chains. I, I now am hearing of companies. Uh, this is stories coming out of Australia, of course. Uh, not of course, but it's a, lo- a level of local context there. People who are selling off the last of their uh, car stocks because and when they stop, there are no more cars to sell because uh, the, the supply chain has been broken to China. Uh, China itself has recovered, of course, from the virus, uh, but their mm-hmm. own supply chains don't work. Uh, and vehicle and the, nobody's nobody's exporting from America right now, so suddenly they're going to be uh, the, the sales will cease because and there's no 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 local factory to make up for the fact you can't bring the parts in from overseas anymore. Right. So let's just just trash that particular idea in in the current global circumstances. Yeah, so supply yeah demand might be there, but the supply isn't. So what do you do then? How does Boris level up? Uh, does he just pump more money into the regions? I can see problems with that because how do you make sure if you are pumping money in, it's going uh, to the right place? And I'll give you an example on that. My mum lives in Northwich in Cheshire. Uh, they've got a, a shopping centre, I might have talked about this before, called Barron's Key. cost £80 million to build. It was expected it was going to make £4 million in rent from retailers, but it's making only half that. And the local council is having to pick up the rest of the bill to pay back the developer so ratepayers are subsidizing a failure of planning uh, so if leveling up means easier la- loans uh, for for regions we could see a lot more of that sort of thing happening couldn't we 
Yeah, well, that's the one reason I'm, I'm a fan of the, the idea of a universal basic income rather than rather than on its own a job guarantee. I support both uh, because one thing with the UBI is you can give people a cash flow. It means they can actually try some local innovations um, you know, or, or try to innovate rather than living in, a, in an area which is completely depressed. So mm. perhaps the best way to improve these regions is to bring in a, a, a not, not the sort of slave-level payments that uh, – that some countries have used UBI as as a way of, you know, um, it's not just simplifying their welfare system, but actually reducing the amount they pay people. I know that that's been part of the way it's been used. But a UBI that means you have a living, you know, a, a, a living income, even if you are um, in an area where there aren't, where there is not enough full-time jobs, and it means you can actually take a risk yourself. Um, so not so in this case the I think the philosophy was it was like a build it and they'll come mentality wasn't it let's spend mm. money on infrastructure whatever it is and that's going to create jobs and uh, create wealth what you're saying is no 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 uh, get, make sure people have more money and then they will create the wealth you've got to create the aggregate demand first I mean this is one yeah. thing which is the post it's a whole supply and demand argument isn't it yeah which but is it's, like, it's so often got wrong yeah, it's, it's the usual neoclassical way of thinking, which comes from Jean-Baptiste Say, the idea that supply creates its own demand. Now, yeah. the reality is that demand creates its own supply. If you have mm. the aggregate demand, the supply can be generated to fill, to fill it. But if you just if you, if you focus on the supply side without the demand, you'll, you'll you know, build white elephants like that one near your mother. So here's the thing. Uh, even before you start talking about universal basic income, um, look at public sector jobs, almost a third of them are in the NHS. If their wages went up, that would make a difference. And of course, by its very nature, health services are all over the country. 28% of public sector jobs are in education. And then you've got the police on top of that as well. Again, all geographically dispersed. Push their wages up. That would go a long way to uh, regionally spreading this levelling up that Boris is looking for and would create that extra money in the in the economy for to, to, to feed ancillary services. And the same thing applies with the universities, the regional universities. They're not made to be profit centres with this crazy idea of £9,000 per student fees that the Tories brought in when they promised not to raise fees from 3000 <laughs> and they trebled mm. them to nine. Um, uh, that means that the, the cost is imposed on the students and the students don't spend or got to borrow money and go into debt to do it, et cetera, et cetera. Use it as one way of government money creation. That means that the public gets to spend the money the government creates and you can get regional universities which themselves become growth centres. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, so those, I mean, do, are there cases where universities become experts at a, in a particular field and then that does rub off on the, the local geography and helps establish yeah. industries in a, in a particular sector? Well, I mean, this is a wrap for my older university, Kingston, which was, uh, you know, I, I won't go into detail about the management there um, or the facilities, but, but uh, well, for, sorry. You left it. They were great managers. That's what you meant to say, isn't it? That's right. The great anyway, managers. Yeah, we, won't, we won't go there. But yeah. they did have a damn good robotics centre. And, right. uh, and, and and that then you, know, you get spin-offs coming out of that. Some you know, students working on a particular project uh, can then decide they're going to start a business in that in that area. And you then get uh, you know you, you really can't pick where these things are. You've got to seed them and see what happens. And uh, for that particular uh, uh, university, um, providing the funds rather than trying to rip the funds out of the students, giving the funds to the students, uh, you could have had businesses being seeded by that in the area of robotics at that particular university. So that seems like a sensible first step, then, doesn't it? It's you've you know you a government has control of the public sector, uh, just 
pay more and try and push out more as well. So the UK public sector is 16.5% of all people employed in the UK. It's the lowest proportion actually since records began uh, measuring this sort of thing, which was only back in 1999. Uh, There's also been a move to central government. So from September 2000 to March 2018, central government jobs rose from 2.3 million people to 3.1 million people local government jobs fell from 2.7 million down to 2 million so there's been this centralization of the public sector so if boris is serious about all of this even though of course the demand for services by its very nature is all over the country if boris is serious about this then he would be decentralizing the public sector and that would uh, you know even without universal basic income uh, if if, the, if you raise the minimum wage as well that would go a long way to his leveling up uh, aims wouldn't it yeah, and this is actually the reverse of what the Tories brought in, which, of course, was austerity. And the main yeah. way they imposed austerity was that they had control over the, the, the funding of, of local governments, and they simply cut off the funding. So rather than them having to wear the opprobrium of deciding who gets to be cut, they forced it on local governments. And that, that is actually, you know, decimated is a bad word, because decimated means, only means kill 10%. This is killing 30 and 40%. And so their own policies have caused the, the, the folk, the... the um, um, concentration and now say they're trying to reverse. So reverse the, the bloody policies, fund the local councils properly, uh, reverse austerity. I'll hold my breath over that when David uh, Johnson doing it and not. <laughs> well, look at uh, Canberra's an interesting example, isn't it? In that it's not uh, it's not Sydney and it's not Melbourne. They couldn't agree. I think that's the story, isn't it? They couldn't agree, so they th- said, well, let's stick it somewhere in the middle. It is in the middle of nowhere, of course, but you've got 400,000 people. Uh, it's a 40 or $50 billion Aussie Aussie dollar economy. Uh, it in uh, in January had an unemployment ratio of sixty eight point five against a national average of sixty two. You mean an so, employment ratio? Employment ratio. Employment, sorry, employment ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, maybe after COVID nineteen. Sorry, did I say unemployment ratio? Employment ratio sixty eight point five. Uh, national average is sixty two. So uh, there's the answer for Boris. He just needs to move the government to somewhere that's not London. Maybe Stockton on Tees, for example. Uh, just move it up there, <laughs> and uh, the problem solved. I'd rather see them fund local councils properly and allow it to happen in that sense. So again, what would they get? Let's not forget that one of the major reasons why London is such a massive focus of, uh, of wealth in the UK, it's the finance sector. And Maggie mm. Thatcher's, again, this comes back to my favourite story, as you know, the level of private debt uh, trebled, went from 55% of GDP when Maggie began this process in 79 to 82 to 194%. Uh, at the peak of the bubble and down it went again. That was what really caused the growth of the of the um, UK financial sector, and that entirely occurs in not just in London but in the city of London. So yeah. if you want to uh, if you want to you know, diversify uh, wealth and income creation throughout the UK, you cut down the size of the bloody city because that's gone well beyond the power law. That's that's become the the the, the um, the financial law and, and that 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 concentration is, is the main thing they need to reverse. They reverse that, then you might get to a far more equitable UK than you've got right now. Right, but equitable is not the word, is it? He's talking specifically about levelling up, and the reason why he's saying levelling up is he doesn't want to. He wants to win everyone's vote because levelling up means that if you are in London, you're going to be no worse off. In fact, you you know. Yeah, you, I, I heard actually Boris is in favour of people. I heard that Boris is actually in favour of people giving the clap to bankers. Um, <laughs> what? But, As an infection, I, 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 you I, mean? I, know I'm, I know I'm too old for that joke to get through to most of the audience, but, you know, I would love to give bankers the clap. I think they deserve the clap. Um, but, yeah, the whole idea, clapping for bloody bankers, honestly. You're serious? 
Huh? Did he say that? Did he, he say did. that? He wanted people who rather than just clapping for the NHL, he wanted to clap for bankers. Yes. Didn't you hear that one? <laughs> I can't. No, I, no, I can't. I know believe bankers. That. I know a lot of bankers have been trying very hard to get the clap. And you know, but honestly, <laughs> this incredible. Anyway, it, so look, I mean, I but, but he, he, you, you're not. Uh, so here's the interesting thing: if you, if you if we were to say, well, okay, well, you know, what are we trying to level up? We're trying uh, really is is it it's wages and employment, isn't it? Really, I mean, you know, in the in the, in an ideal world, wherever you went in the country, people would be on a similar similar wage, or you know, relative to their the cost of living in the part of the country they're in. Um, and that, you know, it's interesting. Maybe it's close to that. Who knows? Uh, but you'd also want to make sure that you have got an employment rate that's the same as well. But uh, the UK is actually leveling down. It's, it has sort of sort of achieved more equality because the real median earnings, uh, the percentage change from two thousand and eight to two thousand and nineteen, adjusted for inflation. So these are the real numbers. People in London saw their wages fall. 6% from 2008 to 2019. In the northeast, that depressed area, they only fell 1%. So Boris might actually find it easier to level down, seeming as that's what's happening anyway. Well, they have to level down because, I mean, I think I told you my, 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 my really intriguing experiences when I first arrived in the UK was having dinner with a, a colleague, a, a Twitter colleague in the finance sector, his wife coming along, and I had not met his wife before. Asked her what she did for a living, and she said, "I'm a school teacher." But she said, "But I used to work in the finance sector." And he then explained that she you know, he, she earned more than he did when, when reason they got married. Ha ha. Um, and she told me that she she left because she wanted to get a less stressful job. At which point I burst out laughing, having been a school teacher. And she said, "Yes, you're right. It's just as stressful, but at least I think I'm doing something worthwhile." But she said, "When I got my first paycheck, the amount the the, the amount that I got paid in my first paycheck as a school teacher, not including compared to what I got as in finance, not including my bonus, was one thirtieth the salary I got as a school as in the finance sector." Now, mm. that means all teachers get something ludicrous like £25,000 per year. So her salary, not including a bonus, in the finance sector was £750,000 a year. And she would have doubled that with a bonus. Now, that is the level of ludicrous concentration of wealth and income that the finance sector has got. And it's parasitic income. It's not sort of creative. We are, I think most people listening to this podcast would agree with that, even if they work in the finance sector. So that's where the massive inequality has come from. And you have to level that down. Yeah. Absolutely, but, but and that would because that would push the price of goods beyond everybody else, I guess, wouldn't it? I mean, although it's it's not going to push the price of beans up, but it's going to push the price of houses up, for example. In, well, that, that's why that, that's where ludicrous prices come from in in the UK, particularly in London. The house prices are mad because mad people are being paid mad salaries and can afford to buy them, and the rest of you can go um, commute. So, what uh, what should be his measure then uh, for leveling up? Maybe leveling down. At the top, slicing the top off and then leveling up the rest of us. Uh, what would be his measure of success? Is it unemployment rates, ensuring that we've got uh, roughly similar unemployment rates around the country? If that's the case, then he's got a long way to go because mid last year the unemployment rate in southeast England was two point eight percent. In the northeast, it was five point six percent. But of course, they've they've voted for him now, so they'll be expecting it to race down to two point eight percent to join to join their friends in the southeast. No, I think the unemployment was one, is one factor, but rising, increasing the minimum wages is a major one. I can't believe people are living on, you know, seven pounds an hour type pay rates, uh, given the costs in the mm. UK. Get rid of the, of the, the, the bedroom tax and nonsense like that. Uh, fund councils properly. 
and, and start and, and, and get rid of the, the fees for the university students, use that a way of you know, providing uh, incomes to regional, univ regional university towns, uh, all those sorts of factors, boost the aggregate demand using the capacity of the state to create money, but not for funding you know, bureaucrats in the heart of London and more Dominic Cummings uh, clones, but uh, get it out to the regions through the councils. Yeah, but of course, the, you know, the argument always given, isn't it, that if you, because all of that will mean more money, more spending by the by the public sector. And, uh, you know, the, the usual argument for that is, well, OK, if you're going to do that, you need to spend the money on creating something solid, some piece of infrastructure so we can see the money's not being wasted. We don't want it to be frittered away paying higher wages to because then we're just spending more money to get what we're already getting. I'm not saying that's my argument, but that is the argument that obviously is used, which is why money always goes into big infrastructure projects, because we like to see something solid coming out of our spending. I think we always some of those people listen to their own ideology and they're saying the government shouldn't be picking winners. Well, don't. Give the money to other people and let them pick them. Uh, and that's a you know, that we're giving. That's one of the great advantages of, stu of, of, of uh, fully funded universities because you provide students with the cash flow they spend in the local economy, and then you know, students are often the ones who are you know, on, on the forefront of of, uh, of, of new form, forms of demand, new forms of technology. Let them decide it, but provide the money by the, by the state creation of it, and that's. Um, you know, if, if they listen to their own ideology, they realise by trying to put infrastructure projects like you know, high-speed rail and, and so on, they're trying to pick the winners. And uh, the UK's track record and winners at the at the uh, at the uh, national level has been pretty pathetic. Yeah. Well, look, I tell you, the one thing that this has determined in the last half hour, Steve, is when I become prime minister, when I'm when, when, when I when I'm prime minister, uh, I'm going to uh, I'll make you chancellor of the exchequer. We'll get it sorted just between the two of us. No problem at all. Problem mm -hmm. solved. Okay, you can take over question time. <laughs> Would be fun, I reckon. <laughs> You'd handle it. It'd, it'd, it'd be ended more entertaining than the current current files, that's for sure. All right. See you soon. Catch you next time. Thanks, Okay, Steve. mate. Bye-bye. Yep. Well, one question for the Prime Minister is what do we do about China? The new security law that they've introduced for Hong Kong is having the West spitting chips. So how should countries respond? Is it with trade sink sanctions? And if so, who pays for that? Because is it really China that's paying for it? If you stop imports from China, which goods are going to replace them? Are we going to pay more for the goods that we have to get from elsewhere? We'll look at our massive over-dependency on China next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. See you then. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.